0: This is Future Tense Fiction, a podcast featuring stories about how technology could change tomorrow. I'm Maddie Stone. Artificial intelligence can seem like magic, or at least like a pretty impressive approximation of what a human can do. Except sometimes, the remarkable work supposedly done by AI is really done by unseen,
1: underpaid people. Launch day came and went. And two years later, the only sign of AI was a few functions meant to keep Aroha and her co-workers in line. On today's episode of Future Tense Fiction, a reading of
0: Janelle Shane's story, The Skeleton Crew. After the story, Janelle tells us about terrible algorithmic bosses, truly scary gig work, and why people should be less excited about messing with AI.
2: This human impulse to mess with the chatbot or something could end up really
0: making a human worker's day a lot more unpleasant. That's coming up on Future Tense Fiction. Stay with us.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech. This
0: is Future Tense Fiction. I'm Maddie Stone. I'm a freelance journalist and the editor of The Science of Fiction, a newsletter about how science and pop culture intersect. Every month, Slate's Future Tense partnership with New America and Arizona State University's Center for Science and the Imagination publishes a short story that explores how science and technology will shape our future. Now, we are bringing some of those stories to you in a podcast that includes a conversation with the author. Today's short story is The Skeleton Crew, by optics researcher and AI blogger Janelle Shane. Janelle is an expert on all the ways so-called intelligent algorithms fail to live up to the hype. On her blog, AIweirdness.com, Janelle writes about training neural networks to churn out everything from cat names to paint colors, with often absurd results. A fan of haunted houses, Janelle merges her interests in The Skeleton Crew. The story is set in what is advertised as a high-tech haunted house run entirely by AI. In reality, it's run by gig workers who constantly have to keep up their scare metrics or risk getting their pay docked. But when a crisis strikes the haunted house, it's those behind-the-scenes workers who are forced to save the day with the help of plastic skeletons and drones that look like bats. After the story, Janelle and I talk about why AI often isn't as intelligent as we think. And now, The Skeleton Crew, read by Kat
1: Bond. Aroha had been a closet skeleton for two weeks now, the longest anyone had managed to hold the position. At first, the job had been utterly undoable, but she and her coworkers had hacked in some we'd totally be fired for this improvements. Now, she had a subroutine that injected just enough idle movement to give her breaks without incurring any timeout penalties, plus a camera feed monitoring the hallway outside her basement closet. It gave her minutes at a time to stretch her legs and make herself tea, ready to hop back into her chair as soon as the next guests approached. The ghost chat running in an unofficial chat window kept her from feeling too isolated. Princess Morgue was that the big dude? Darth Sugar Flew across his path and jiggled in his face and he jumped backward ten feet. <laughs> Grin face. Hey Gisella, I want to hear the house shake when they get to Closet Skeleton. By the way, I think my wings busted again. Gisella Ugh. Did one of them get grabby? I will slay them. Darth Sugar, Nah, just a panic flail. I misjudged the distance. Wish they put stereo vision in the drones. That was a relief. Destructive guests sucked, and there wasn't much the workers could do about them except hide until they made their way out of the haunted house. Although the house of AI's official selling point was an advanced AI that could read facial expressions and produce an individually customized haunted house experience, Some people seemed to be mostly attracted by the prospect of messing with the AI. But there was no AI. Customers had been promised one, back when House of AI had been selling tickets a year in advance, attracting celebrity investors, buying and renovating an actual abandoned mansion on a tiny private island. But it turned out that no money on Earth could build the AI that the house's billionaire founder had envisioned. The developers tried to buy time by hiring Aroha and her co-workers to control the haunted house robots, patching in a hacked-together remote interface where the AI was supposed to be. They were meant to be replaced with the real AI once they had provided enough training data. But launch day came and went, and two years later the only sign of AI was a few functions meant to keep Aroha and her co-workers in line. Functions whose hostility was rivaled only by their profound shoddiness. Like the scarometer. Damn, she hated the scarometer. Mayhem chicken. How bad is your wing? Can you keep going? No, Chisella, do not slay them. It was one of the House of A.I.'s selling points, among the very few that it really delivered on, that there were no human employees physically on the island. Even Mayhem Chicken, the closest thing they had to a supervisor, lived in the Philippines. The developers had promised their AI would eventually handle security and on-site repair, but since that hadn't yet materialized, life as a plastic skeleton was precarious. Aroha was already mentally calculating how much time she'd have between guests, whether there was time for her to dash upstairs and try to fix Darth Sugar. If Darth Sugar's drone were busted she'd get no scares at all till the Monday maintenance visit. That would mean a lot of wage penalties. At worst, the system might even auto-terminate Darth Sugar, which would suck on so many levels. The five remaining House of AI robot operators had clawed their way together out of the chaos of the early days, learning the caprices of the Scarometer and the other scoring systems. To lose a co-worker would not only be a tragedy... But would jeopardize their delicate system of hacks and workarounds. Without the five of them coordinating, nobody would have a job for long. Darth Sugar. I think it's just my wingtip. I can ignore it. Princess Morg. Is it just a flesh wound? Darth Shigar. I don't want to go on the cart. Ghost chat devolved into Monty Python quotes while Aroha sat back in relief, flexing her fingers and taking a sip of tea. An emergency repair would have been an iffy proposition, although much more practical ever since one of the weekly maintenance workers had finally seen their note and left a small toolkit for them. Aroha returned her attention to her camera, which was now showing the next guest's rounding the corner toward her closet, bunched up and nervous. When they opened her closet door, she lay slumped in the corner for a long moment until she saw them begin to relax. Then she jumped, and they shrieked and scrambled over one another as she climbed to her feet and took two steps forward, her eye sockets flaring with red lights. She had gotten good at appearing to advance without actually moving forward. It made her look scary while keeping her out of arm's reach. They bolted for the exit, their curses already beginning to crumble into laughter. In her vision, the scarometer blinked red. Emotion detected. Joy. Bad scare. Bad scare. Aroha sighed and directed her camera at the very scary mop in the corner. Rapidly, the scarometer began to climb. Nobody had liked being closet skeleton because the lighting was terrible, and the scarometer could see just well enough to register that guests were present, but not well enough to see their faces and register a scare properly. Not that it was that accurate even in good lighting. No wonder an AI built to maximize scarometer performance had failed. Being closet skeleton had meant accumulating so many bad scares that the job paid almost nothing. The setup was ludicrous. But since they were filling in for a missing AI program, nobody had built in a way for them to complain. They'd been reduced to dividing closet skeleton shifts among themselves, trying to spread out the damage. Then one day Aroha had noticed that the Scarometer would sometimes register them up in the corner as a terrified human. The ability to cancel out the bad scares was a game changer. Darth Sugar. Nice one, Cheezella. Heard that. Cheezella. Slain. Mayhem Chicken. Remember Vipsat 2200. Princess Morgue. Got it. Darth Sugar. Got it. Bud Crack. Got it. Aroha 2 typed Kori and took a sip of tea while she checked her computer clock and converted San Francisco time to New Zealand Daylight Savings Time. VIPs at 2200 hours gave her a good half hour for dinner while they cleared out the other guests. She wondered who it would be this time. House of AI sometimes got real celebrities, since it was expensive and nobody, maybe not even the billionaire founder, knew how deeply crappy the AI really was. She was finishing her curry when the ghost chat leapt to life. Mayhem Chicken. VIPs are here. Oh my god, oh my god, it's Dragon Sula! Darth Sugar. Oh my g- 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 god. Heart, 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 skull. Princess Morg. Skull, skull, heart. Bud Crack. Who? Darth Sugar.
3: Dragon Sula.
1: Princess Morg.
3: Dragon Sula!
1: Darth Sugar.
3: All bones rot!
1: Aroha knew who Dragon Sula was a metal rocker who used her fame to fight back against the white supremacists who kept trying to claim ancient metal as theirs. She'd even had to tighten security at her concerts after one of them tried to bring in a gun. One of Aroha's friends had a Dragon Sula poster on her wall. The one with Dragon Sula standing in a cathedral knee-deep in blood, looking like she was about to tear it down. Or maybe like she would stand there for thousands of years until it crumbled around her. Aroha didn't listen to metal herself, but the poster had power. Mayhem Chicken Mayhem Chicken She's here with a photo crew. Sweet. Darth, sugar. Hey, I got booted. Princess, Morg. Me too? No! I need to see Dragon Sula! Mayhem, chicken. I can't reconnect! Was Aroha the only one still connected? She could still see her hallway camera feed and still move her limbs. Why her? Then she remembered. Cheezella. I'm still connected. The Wi-Fi signal's so bad down here that Closet Skeleton has a dedicated router. Something must be wrong with the one the rest of you are using. Will it fix itself? <coughs> Princess Morg, not likely. Someone probably has to manually push the button to restart our router. <coughs> Darth Sugar, ugh, it's docking me for inactivity. I'm trying, okay? Cheeseella, I can do it. Where's the router? <coughs> Princess Morg, Ground floor in the closet between the crypt and the spider room. Hurry! I think I fell over when I lost connection. Gonna look real silly when Dragon Sula encounters Napping Axe Skeleton. <sighs> Aroha left her closet and headed upstairs. Everything was still in haunted house mode. The lights, soundtrack, and even the fog still active. Whatever had gone wrong, it must be just affecting the one router. She took the most direct route, using access corridors to shortcut the winding paths, popping in and out of concealed doorways. She kept her head down by habit as she passed each AI-generated portrait. The scare meter sometimes registered those as human and would hand out bad scares. When she passed through the guest-facing areas, generated ghosts began to follow her, then stopped, then started to follow her again, stuttering the face-tracking algorithm confused. At one point, she stepped over Princess Morgue, whose empty eye sockets stared at the ceiling, foam axe still attached to one of her hands. The door to the router closet was already ajar. Metal and plastic were strewn across the floor, and the router itself was lying among them, several deep gouges in its case. Aroha sat forward in her chair, heart beating quickly. She took a screenshot and sent it to Ghost Chat. Then she backed away and hid against the wall among some prop skeletons. She needed time to think. Darth Sugar, Holy shit. Princess Morg. Did somebody stab the router? Aroha adjusted her headphone volume and now she could hear the floor creaking as someone much heavier than a robot skeleton moved nearby. Cheeseella. They're still here. I can hear them. She realized she was sitting very still, typing gingerly. She was 10,000 kilometers from whatever was happening, yet she could feel herself sweating, feel her hands tensing up on the controls. You're the only one left, she told herself. Cheese I'm going to see. She wondered how loud her feet were. How loud her servo motors were. Whether her chassis made any sort of constant hum. There was so much she might not hear, being located so far from her body, relying on cheap headphones. It had never mattered before.
0: We're taking a short break. When we come back, The Skeleton Crew continues. You're listening to Future Tense Fiction. Stay with
1: us.
0: This is Future Tense Fiction. I'm your host, Maddie Stone. Now back to our story, The Skeleton Crew, by Janelle Shane.
1: The crypt was lined with skeletons that looked pretty similar to her own body. So she edged slowly out along the wall, ready to freeze. About six paces down the hall, standing framed by a heavy archway, were two people with their backs to her, one heavy, one thin, both white, both youngish. They had guns, she saw with an acid twist of fear running through her stomach. The big black angular kind that Americans used for mass shootings. She took a screenshot and sent it to Ghost Chat. Darth Sugar, Holy shit. Princess Morg, I recognize those neck tattoo assholes. They were in here last week. They kept trying to mess with me. I had to take a photo and play Threat of Litigation MP3. Darth Sugar, Me too! But crack. Can someone zoom in on those tattoos for me? Aroha thought she knew what kinds of tattoos they would be. Their look, their swagger, their annoying haircuts, all screamed white supremacist. These assholes must have scoped out the place last week, then hidden somewhere today before the house was cleared for Dragon Sula. There was only one path through the house of A.I., so now, all they had to do was wait for her to come to them. Darth sugar. Oh shit, oh shit, what do we do? Mayhem Chicken. Call for help. BC, you're in Seattle, right? Can you call 911? But Crack. I can do that. Calling now. Darth sugar. How long will it take them to get there? It's on an island, right? Is there a boat? Is there a helicopter? How will they get there in time? Mayhem Chicken. I'm sure they have a helicopter. Princess Morg. There's no way they'll get there in time, even with a helicopter. It's twenty minutes tops from the entrance to the router closet. Less if we're not there to interact. Darth Sugar. They say are they picking up? Aroha skimmed ghost chat, most of her attention on her camera watching the two wait with their guns. Her hands still clenched the controls, but her earlier fear had distilled into rage. Their goal was clear. For them to win would be unthinkable. They had missed one skeleton, and now there would be hell to pay. She wanted to fling herself at them and wrestle their guns away, but she was a plastic skeleton and probably weighed ten kilos at most. They would bat her away as easily as if she were a coat rack. She couldn't even block a bullet. She needed a different way. Cheese We have to make sure she never gets to them. Gonna sneak away and intercept her. Darth Sugar. Yes. Mayhem Chicken. We need to know where she is. Princess Morg, We need the cameras back. Maybe my sister can hack into Chizella's closet connection. I can call her. Mayhem chicken. Do that. Without intel, Aroha would have to guess which shortcut to take, but first she'd have to get away without the gun-toting assholes noticing. Fortunately, she was still against a wall of other skeletons, and the two mostly had their backs turned. She tapped the controls slowly, delicately. Trying to make her motion imperceptible. It was at that moment that the Scarometer realized she was in the presence of humans and decided to read the emotions of the backs of their heads. Emotion detected. Sorrow. Bad scare. Bad scare. That would have been merely annoying had it not triggered its occasional help be scary routine that unleashed a loud, eerie screech. <laughs> She froze as the gunmen whirled around, weapons raised. After a long moment of silence, the larger one ran to her corner and stopped, listening, completely unaware that a skeleton within arm's reach was watching him. I didn't see anyone, asshole number one said to the smaller gunman. Are we sure we disabled the AI? We stabbed the hell out of that box. Maybe that noise was just part of the soundtrack. "'It's creepy. Shut up! She's probably getting close by now.' "'Asshole One stayed in the corner of the two hallways, looking occasionally back down the hall past her. "'Some of his nervousness seemed to register with a scarameter, which quieted down the longer he stayed in view. "'It tended to be the most accurate on white men. "'Princess Morg. Oh, thank God, my sister answered her phone!' I'm going to see if she can get us camera or our bodies back. Darth Sugar. I wish we could see what's happening. Mayhem Chicken. Chisella, please tell us when you may get to Dragon Sula. If you can. BC has the anti-terrorists on the phone. He can update them. Chisella. Scare me to sabotaged me. I'm still in the crypt with them. They know something happened, but don't know which skeleton I am. Darth Sugar. Oh, crap. Jeez, Allah. BC, what do the anti-terrorists say? Do they have ideas? But crack. I... I'm still explaining things to them. What we are. They are confused. Aroha guessed it might take them a while to get from The house of AI is run by an advanced artificial intelligence to To avert disaster, we must rely on a single plastic skeleton controlled by a frantic woman in New Zealand. In the meantime, keeping Dragon Sula away from the gunmen still seemed like the best plan. Asshole One was close enough to her that Aroha was still tempted to grab the gun from him. They would destroy her, but it might take long enough and make enough noise that it would alert Dragon Sula. Or maybe Dragon Sula would just think it was part of the soundtrack. Chizella! I need to get away from them need to find her somehow. Darth Sugar. Wait, are the AI portraits still working? That was a third-party app. I think they use cell phone signal. Mayhem Chicken. Oh! So the website would still be updating! Can you go see? Aroha had completely forgotten about the terrible AI portraits. They were supposed to learn the faces of the guests as they walked by then optimize a blank, fleshy blob until it started to look like them. The resulting faces would follow guests from frame to frame around the house, the resemblance growing stronger with every encounter. Later, guests would be able to view and purchase their photos online. In theory, they could figure out how far Dragonsula had gotten by checking the website to see which mirrors had begun to display her face. Unfortunately, after about a year... An update had broken the optimization algorithm, and now the faces were masses of orifices. Far too many mouths, and far, far too many eyeballs. The creepiness factor had definitely increased, but now the faces were unrecognizable. Maybe Darth Sugar could still manage it. Aroha took a deep breath and loosened her grip on the controls. She was still stuck in the hallway with a couple of murderous terrorists... But she realized she wasn't really alone with them. She had a team. Cheese, Allah. I think I can get away from them. Gonna jettison a hand. It was a trick she had discovered by accident and occasionally amused herself with on slow nights. Taking careful aim, she jerked her arm sharply. Her hand flew off and hit the door release panel. The two gunmen whirled to face the opening door. There's no one there, Asshole 1 said after a moment. What if it's the AI? It's not the AI, Asshole 2 said. We disabled it. How do we know, though? Fine. Let's go check it out. The moment they disappeared around the corner, Aroha made her retreat. In the next room, she stopped among heaps and curtains of spiderwebs, arranging herself in a vaguely menacing pose next to a three-foot jumping spider. Now that she had faded into the background spookiness again, she considered her options. Freaking the hell out of the gunmen was one attractive prospect. She knew enough shortcuts that she could keep getting ahead of them, keep drawing them farther down the maze, hopefully faster than Dragon Sula was advancing toward them. Ha! Got away from them. Up one room now. Then... Darth Sugar found her! Garbled image, but I would know that eyeshadow anywhere. Wow, she hasn't gotten far at all. She's still in Statuary Hall. Mayhem Chicken. So we have a lot more time than we thought. That's really good. I was afraid she was almost to them. Are they still staying put, Chizella? Cheezilla, they went one room farther when I opened the door. They haven't come back up yet. Bud, crack. The anti-terrorists say try to get to Dragon Sula and get her out of the house. Top priority. Cheezilla, got it. Darth Sugar, blood room shortcut. Cheezilla, yep. She liked this plan better. Less risk of an abrupt end to her intervention. Or of them growing suddenly suspicious and doubling back to intercept Dragon Sula, she left the realm of the spiders and moved quickly to the blood room, where blood and viscera oozed from the original crown molding and sheeted down the blanked windows. The blood room shortcut, an opening in the side of a huge fireplace, was one of the secret passageways that was original to the mansion. Its corridor wallpapered rather than plywood and running straight down the length of the wing. Her bony feet sank into original carpet as she hurried. Princess Morgue. My sister's hacked in! Do we want bodies first or cameras? But crack. They say cameras. She came out in the statuary hall between two bleeding gargoyles. It was the biggest and best room in the mansion, and the lighting engineers had worked wonders here. Candles flickered from columns and deep recesses, disappearing overhead into mist and swirling crows. Statues were everywhere, dramatically lit, some with extra limbs or talons or glowing eyes. Up on a platform beneath the largest statue, a single, featureless stone, stood three people. Two had their backs to Aroha as they adjusted cameras on tripods and tilted giant silvery light-bouncing screens. And the third was Dragon Sula, wearing tall boots and a long black coat, her eyeshadow rimmed with stars, her hair a shocking white. She was stunning. Dragon Sula noticed Aroha and her expression brightened. Oh, hello. Can you understand me? I've never met an advanced AI before. Dragon Sula's voice was low and hoarse. Thanks for being patient. We couldn't help stopping for pictures here. This room is... She gestured expansively. Aroha flailed her skeleton arms in a shooing motion, trying to turn them back. The scarometer flashed unhappily in her vision. "'It's all right,' said Dragon Sula kindly. "'You don't need to try to scare me. "'My individually personalized haunted house experience "'is going to be mostly me gawking at the scenery "'and taking pictures. "'It's terrific how they kept so much of the original mansion.' "'Aroha wished her body came with a voice box "'or any sound file other than screeching "'and threat of litigation MP3.' Dragon Sula gave her a friendly wave and then resumed working with her photographers. Princess Morg. Ha! I could see you, Chisella! And there's Dragon Sula! Mayhem Chicken. Where are the gunmen? They're not by the router closet anymore. Darth Sugar. Uh-oh, I think I found them. They're coming fast toward you, Cheezella. Only a few rooms away. But Crack. They say get her out of there now. Get her on the other side of a heavy door. <coughs> Mayhem chicken. The doors don't lock. <coughs> but crack. I know. Explaining. Aroha stood for several frustrated seconds trying to think of a way to use her plastic skeleton body to convey urgency, to do something at them that they wouldn't interpret as an AI's single-minded attempt to be Spooky. She could probably manage to kick over a tripod, but only another haunted houseworker would know how out of the ordinary it was to touch a guest or their stuff. Then she saw the far wall. Dragonsula's eyes tracked Aroha as she crossed the room, then widened as she stopped before the fire alarm and pulled it. Red lights whirled and a piercing wail filled the room. The house lights came up, and the other lighting effects disappeared— all except for a clearly lit exit sign. The San Francisco Fire Department did not allow a haunted house to mess around when it came to the fire alarm. With her remaining hand, Aroha gestured emphatically at the exit sign. Dragon Sula hurried to help the camera crew begin to pack up, the three of them twisting tripod knobs and collapsing screens. Aroha paced, playing her scary screech sound file at increasingly frantic intervals, which did seem to make them work faster. Their arms full of gear, the three made their way to the exit door, reaching the threshold just as the first heavy footsteps sounded from the other end of the room. Dragon Sula was holding the door for the photographers, and about to go through herself when the first of the gunmen came into sight. She froze for only a split second before she slammed the door. Now Aroha turned to face the gunmen. She screeched and flashed her eyes red, arms raised into their faces. Oh, man! Come on! They yelped, swore, and twisted, and began to fire at her at close range. If she had been there in person, the sound and flash of the gunshots would have been overwhelming. Filtered through the saturation limits of her camera and microphone, they were merely sounds, background to her increasing sense of calm determination. She was expendable. And as a skeleton, she was mostly air. The bullets were blasting into heavy wood behind her, ripping the occasional chunk from her frame as she slowly advanced. There was a spray of sparks as a bullet shot out the red lights of one eye socket, But her camera was in her nose, and she could still see them backing away from her. Her upraised arms were blasted beyond recognition, sparking and dangling finger bones. Asshole 1 was screaming, It won't die! It won't die! Asshole 2 had just enough presence of mind to shoot for her feet, and a lucky shot blasted away her ankle and sent her sprawling. She disengaged her autogate and began to mash keys, trying to crawl toward them. Leave it! She's getting away! The AI's still alive! It's still coming! Just this one bot. If it has more robots, where are they? He kicked her hard and the camera view swung as she slid across the floor. Let's go! Then he screamed and raised Ah! his gun again as a bat-winged drone flew at his face and another skeleton swung a giant foam axe, knocking the gun from his grip. The other gunman suddenly found himself with a bat drone in his face as well, and he backed wildly away, spraying bullets until he tripped over Princess Morgue's axe. Mayhem Chicken's butler skeleton was there among them, deftly reaching in to slide the guns out of their reach. Someone began to play threat of litigation MP3. Freeze! It was a new voice pitched at perfect American law enforcement cadence, straight out of the movies. Raise your hands and face the wall! Aroha took a deep breath and then another, unclenching her hands from the controls, watching the anti terrorist squad handcuff the two gunmen. The other skeletons came to cluster around her mangled body. Darth Sugar. Hell yeah, Cheezella, you are awesome! R.I.P. Chassis, but all hail Cheezella! Mayhem Chicken. We're gonna be so fired. Princess Morg. But we're heroes! Especially Cheezella! Mayhem Chicken. We're also cheating hackers who know too much. Soon the officer had a phone, which she was using to relay questions to ghost chat through Budcrack. It was clear they were each going to be separately, extensively interviewed. It was also clear they were not going to be paid for any of that, and probably not even for this shift, with their scarometer ratings in shambles. And yes, probably fired after that. From her floor level camera view where she lay collapsed, Aroha saw a pair of high boots stride into view, followed by two people in jeans and sneakers. One of the jeans wearers crouched down to Aroha's level and a camera flashed in her lens. Are you okay, ma'am? All of you? The officer's voice was gentle. I know that was a lot. We can get you some blankets and hot drinks. First, I need to thank the AI, Dragon Sula said, and apologize for bringing all that with me. When the officer explained the situation... Dragon Sula was first surprised, and then quietly, intensely angry. That anger blazed forth two days later in an interview, with Bud Crack sitting next to Dragon Sula and looking uncomfortable in a suit. They'd all known B.C. was old, but they hadn't quite realized how old. House of A.I. had, in fact, fired them all while trying to cover up the fact that they existed, And this was the interview during which Dragon Sula was officially not having it. Of course, House of A.I. was free to fire any of them since they were contract employees. So Dragon Sula's indignation had no direct effect. But the CEO owned other businesses that traded on his reputation as an A.I. expert. And he did not like being caught with fake A.I. that was really remote workers, particularly workers with names and faces and heroic stories. So after that interview, he officially washed his hands of the House of A.I., putting the island and mansion and business up for sale. Six months later, Dragon Sula stepped from a boat, moonlight catching her white hair, as the band and the audience and all the skeletons cheered. She glanced up at her mansion, grinning and shaking her head at herself, as if not quite believing that this was happening. But then she turned and punched the air with a fist and planted her feet. That was the signal for Aroha and the others to clamber on stage, taking their places behind her, making use of their new articulated wrists and ankles. Mayhem Chicken had had her hands full, getting robot skeletons repaired and upgraded, getting new ones built, getting a dozen new employees trained to use them. Darth Sugar and Bud Crack had kept their tiny Bat-drones, but added stereo vision and speakers. They used them now to buzz the crowd with hilariously low-pitched metal growls.
0: That was The Skeleton Crew, written by Janelle Shane and read by Kat Bond. Coming up, Janelle tells us about the dangers of putting too much trust in AI, especially when lives are at stake. That's just ahead on Future Tense Fiction. Stay with us. You're listening to Future Tense Fiction, and you just heard The Skeleton Crew. It's a lighthearted story about how a broken haunted house shows the limitations of AI, But it also points out some hard truths about life in the gig economy and how algorithms are making it easier for employers to treat human workers as expendable. I spoke with author Janelle Shane, who researches artificial intelligence, and I started by asking her how she became interested in haunted houses. But I did the
2: volunteer work in one back when I was in high school and, you know, sat. Actually, it was a job pretty close to what Aroha, the closet skeleton has, what Chisella uh, has, where I would sit at the end of a long corridor in some kind of startling costume. I think I was a big red monster or something and just sit motionless as people were going by and then choose my moment at which I would suddenly stand up and be huge and scary. So... Uh, come to think of it, that's probably <laughs> why Closet Skeleton was my main was my main character because that's what she does. She just w- waits and then goes rawr, and people go ah.
0: Wow! So this was actually a little bit of a, a callback to your your high school job. This haunted house is supposed to be run by AI and artificial intelligence, but this is ultimately a story about. AI sort of failing to live up to its promise, because the tech that the haunted house developers wanted to build proves to be impossible to build, and the business had to hire these remote workers to control the various scare props that were supposed to be robotic and automated. I'm curious, Janelle, how often are there actually human operators behind something we think of as automated or artificially intelligent?
2: Well, it definitely happens. And that's part of why I wanted to write this story is because I don't think it's generally well known. For example, there's these meal delivery robots uh, that you sometimes see trundling around, especially college campuses. And they, you know, knee high little thing, clearly not a human being fitting in there. The only thing that can fit in there is a pizza. But what people don't generally realize is those have remote operators and there'll be somebody sometimes overseas and they'll maybe have several of them at once that they are controlling and they're setting down waypoints and monitoring each one and making sure it gets to where it gets. But you'll get people making comments like, oh, I love having the meal delivery robot because then I don't have to worry that I'm someone's waiting on me while I get ready to go downstairs. Like, hey, it's happy, just happy to wait. and So comments like that, like they really don't realize there's a person or some of these uh, fully driverless cars that you see also rely on having a remote human operator who is ready to step in if it looks like the car is going to make a mistake.
0: In our world, do companies have to acknowledge that there's actually a human operator behind something like the meal delivery robot or the uh, self-driving car? Or can can the technology actually maintain this veneer of, yes, this is really fully robotically controlled.
2: Certainly, uh, there are plenty of companies where You really have to dig to find out this information. And of course, companies have gotten in trouble for this before. So there is uh, some automatic expensing software that was supposedly run by AI, but was actually sending these uh, receipts and things to remote workers, and they were saying, you know, I'm not sure I'm supposed to be seeking this highly confidential information from these customers who don't know that there are human eyes on it. Voicemail transcriber program got in trouble for this uh, not too long ago. So
0: one of the interesting dynamics in this story for me is that the house of AI is secretly run by remote workers, but the workers themselves are in some ways supervised by algorithms. In particular, Mm -hmm. there's this scarometer that automatically evaluates (laughs) how good of a job the workers are doing at freaking people out, and if it detects signs of a bad scare, quote unquote, it docks their pay. And the Mm -hmm. workers seem to universally hate the scarometer and have figured out some pretty hilarious workarounds to its auto-pay docking, like staring at a mop that the scarometer will register as a terrified human. I love that detail. how common is this sort of automatic performance monitoring tech in the real world? And would you say it generally sucks as much as the scarometer does?
2: From what I've heard, yes, it does really suck. Uh, <laughs> you get people who are in the gig economy uh, working for these giant companies that hire people uh, all over the world as contractors. And that is a huge complaint that they get is their boss is an AI or some kind of algorithm and there's no recourse for if they've been unfairly docked. And there's all of these workarounds that they have to do to try to do their jobs effectively and not get auto-fired by the robot. And yeah, my from what I've seen, People hate that. Were
0: there any particular examples of that sort of technology that you were thinking about as you were writing this story? Uh, I just recently
2: read uh, Ghost Work by Mary Gray and uh, Siddharth Suri, and it talks about this sort of gig economy and the ways that workers are having to exist within it, and these sort of struggles for these recognition and recourse and acknowledgement of their humanity, and from all different walks of life. So these people who are automatically labeling images, or people even who are driving for companies like Uber and Lyft, or now meal delivery there's a lot of algorithmic bosses out there and a lot of really frustrated workers who you know every time they come up with a work around some kind of program that helps make their jobs easier they're sharing with their coworkers quite often that gets shut down because it made them too you know, is too successful or is working around some of the controls that the company was trying to impose on them. And so I had all of this stuff in mind, when I was thinking about what it would be like to work with a faulty AI as your boss.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it sounds like that dynamic of the workers kind of banding together and coming up with workarounds together and relying really on each other in order to get the job done when you have this algorithmic boss that really is only there to dock your pay or penalize you in one way or another. It sounds like that that human network and those connections you can make with other workers is is sort of essential to survival.
2: I really do think so. Yeah. And this was one of the things that I've seen when people interview gig workers and was a central theme in this uh, book, Ghost Work. It really is that, these networks, these banding together, making tools, figuring out clever workarounds and sharing them with each other and supporting each other, learning how to work within this very weird environment and these constraints. And uh, I really wanted that to be a central theme of what was going to come out in Mm the story.
0: One really interesting thing to me early on in the story is we learn that there are these robotically controlled scare props that are all remote controlled by humans. And one of the main challenges they face in existing and doing their jobs within this haunted house is actually the guests, um, Mm -hmm. some of whom are very destructive, whose main goal seems to be just messing with the AI and messing with the technology. And this felt very plausible to me because as a tech reporter, it seems like every time companies roll out some new so-called artificial intelligence or intelligent machine, whether it's a smart home device or a self-driving feature in a car, hackers and researchers immediately get to work trying to figure out how to compromise it. And I'm curious whether you would agree with that. and. And what that says to you about human nature, that whenever some clever new piece of technology or algorithm is invented, one of our immediate impulses is to try to dismantle or destroy it.
2: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, I do think it's a realistic bit of how humans interact with technology. And, you know, sometimes it's understandable. They roll out some kind of surveillance robot and people get uh, frustrated with some kind of cop bot and throw it in a fountain or something. <laughs> that kind of thing is understandable, but then you also get cases like, oh, here is the adorable hitchhiking robot that everybody loves. It'll take pictures and you can send it and it'll check in and that thing ends up dismembered and thrown into a fountain or whatever. So there's, you know, these uh these human frustration toward technology is yeah, sometimes justified frustration and sometimes it's just wanting to mess with the thing and especially if they don't think that there's a human personality behind it or actually human being there why not you're not hurting anybody really by messing with this thing but this gets back to the sort of idea of there's a lot of human workers out there who are sort of covered with this veneer of technology where end users may not realize they're there. And so this human impulse to mess with the chatbot or something could end up really making a human worker's day a lot more unpleasant. I mean,
0: ultimately, it's the human workers at the house of AI who aren't even supposed to be there who wind up saving the day because of their ability to think creatively and come up with a solution to this unexpected danger, these two gunmen in the house, mm-hmm. and, you know, Chisella jettisons her skeleton hand at the gunmen in order to distract them. She pulls the fire alarm to get Dragon Sulla out of the building. I feel like were the house's operations actually fully automated, this situation could have gone down very differently and ended much more tragically. And I'm curious, Janelle, whether that's a real danger to you with giving algorithms or artificial intelligence systems too much autonomy, that in some sort of unexpected or emergency situation, they won't really be able to help us.
2: Yeah, I think that is one major weakness of automated anything is that if it's able to do his job well is because the circumstances have been narrowed enough to the point where today's narrow AI can handle it. And there's just simple, th- predictable things going on. And that's what uh, self-driving cars are really struggling with right now, trying to find wider adoption, is that This is a huge weakness of narrow AI, like today's realistic AI is, you know, you have an emu running around. Has this thing seen an emu before? Does it know what to do? (laughs) No, it's going to do something unpredictable. Or you get like even a human standing weird or dressed weird or just a trick of the light ends up combining into a weird... Uh, circumstance. So oh, these crises are also sometimes kind of manufactured just out of happenstance. So yeah, it's a huge danger of putting too much trust in AI. Just to
0: follow up on that, I wonder whether as an AI researcher, you think this sort of machine intelligence has advanced to the point where we sh- we can feel confident allowing it to take care of things where human lives are really at stake, or could be at stake? Or should there sort of always be a human backstop at this point?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think for some applications, there really does always need to be a human involved. I mean, if you think about the kinds the AIs that people tend to work with every day, you think of voicemail transcription or autocomplete, like these are not just thrown together programs. These are state-of-the-art AI that has lots of money behind it and lots of smart people having it work as well as possible. And you can see just from working with these programs every day having your hands on it and knowing what the answer should be that they are glitchy they are super glitchy if you're talking about like really ordinary stuff let's meet at the store whatever it can handle it if you're doing a technical conversation about your you know animal husbandry with the alpacas or something it's not going to keep up with your specialized vocabulary and That's okay for some applications where you're like, I just don't want to listen through this whole 30 second voicemail, get me the gist of it, cool. I know they weren't talking about this random thing, but now I've got generally what they're talking about. Like super useful. You are the human in the loop in that in that scenario, kind of interpreting the responses from this helpful AI. But yeah, when you get to something where a mistake could cost someone their life or could cost someone economic opportunities, now I'm thinking of like reviewing loans or uh, making parole decisions or doing job interview, uh, hiring interview stuff. There's a lot of AIs being given this level of trust on these really important decisions, and you know, you would not if you would not put autocorrect in charge of this decision. Don't put another AI in charge. Of
0: it. I like that. If it doesn't pass the autocorrect test, um, you yeah. should probably have a, another layer of supervision there. So, after saving the day, the human workers behind the house of AI are all fired in an effort to cover up their existence. And they can't do anything about it because they were just contractors. Could you just talk a little bit more to how technology is helping to fuel this trend of increasingly farmed out remote contract work and people just getting fired without ever really getting to speak up?
2: There's a devaluation of a lot of this expertise that comes with these gig worker jobs and say, well, we can just hire another one, it'll be the same. It kind of ties back to programmers and their ideas of what is a good job for AI and what is a tough problem to solve. We've got AI that has been able to beat people at chess for years. And chess is supposed to be like this high prestige mathematical realm of the smart people. So if it can beat us at chess, surely it can drive a car around or surely it can answer the phone correctly or do whatever other task we have deemed to be low class. And so I think that these programmers often have that mental block toward realizing just how complex and skilled these jobs tend to be. History is littered with the remains of robot butler companies (laughs) that were trying to build something that could do housework. Like, how hard could housework be? Very hard, as it turns out. Mulling through this story, I was thinking of a news report I'd seen on a robot butler company that was... uh, having to use remote workers. And they said, oh, don't worry, we'll use the AI to blur out any confidential information that may be lying around the house. You don't have to worry that your robot butler is like a human seeing your confidential information. That also got me thinking of, oh yeah, well, they've still got the AI there, but now it's adversarial. This devaluation of the humanity and the expertise and skill of people doing these kinds of jobs, I think is contributing to the lack of protections in this sort of, you know, cavalier way in which they are allowed to be managed by algorithm and dismissed without recourse and not valued enough to to be, you know, dealt with fairly and humanely.
0: This is a small detail from the story, but I absolutely loved the concept of these AI portraits that are supposed to learn people's faces and reproduce them as they walk through the haunted house, but that actually wind up producing these really creepy distorted images with like way too many mouths and eyes. <laughs> and I know you've done experiments yourself trying to train neural networks to reproduce things like recipes or cat names only to create algorithms that get everything hilariously wrong. And I'm Mm -hmm. just wondering if you could explain to us why these sorts of algorithms often wind up almost parodying us in an absurd way rather than working as they're intended to work by their programmers.
2: Yeah, uh, I'm I'm glad you brought up that detail, that the failure state of generating images of human faces is this nightmare of way too many orifices. And is that an eye or a nostril? <laughs> we can't really tell. Uh, and this just sort of big, you know, pizza blob of a face. Uh, and, I, you know, there are things going into this, like you get these algorithms that will uh, look on a very small scale and not see the big picture. And so you may get lovingly detailed eyelashes on the fifth eye that this human face blob has, and because of the way that these rewards are set up for, okay, did you think you did a good job? Yes, look at all these eyes, humans have eyes. I have so many eyes, this is so
0: human. I love that idea that the failure state for reproducing a human face is just a mess of orifices. That's totally horrifying and also (laughs) so funny.
2: Yeah, this idea of having weird details that don't look human to us, and the AI goes, oh, yes, definitely a human. That was also behind this uh, mop that you mentioned that looks like a terrified human being and rates high on the scarometer. Because that sort of thing happens in real life, too. You can design these clumps of pixels that to recognition AI, they would look at it and say, oh, yeah, definitely a toaster. And humans looking at it with definitely not a toaster. So I wanted to put some uh, this so called adversarial attack image, I want there to be a naturally occurring one uh, that, you know, kind of showed right away just how faulty AI is.
0: And so throughout this conversation, we've been talking a lot about the limitations of algorithms and artificial intelligence. But Despite all of these limitations, and despite the fact that the house of AI is very much controlled by people, everyone who visits seems to believe that the AI really are running the show. And that just kind of got me thinking, are we as consumers a little too credulous when it comes to companies' claims that they've invented AI technology? And... As an AI researcher, do you have any advice for how to tell a real AI system from a fake one?
2: There is this marketing push toward over-inflating what these AIs can do. And then there's also, we're not helped at all by the fact that when our word for this kind of technology, AI is the same thing as in science fiction. And so much of the AI in science fiction really is human level or even above. And so that's a way more familiar mental image for people. And so it is tough to kind of push through that hype and figure out the difference between, you know, can AI really do this thing? I think, you know, having trusted journalists, you can check on their take, that definitely helps. There's some people doing some really great uh, reporting in this area. But another thing is maybe to keep in mind this sort of autocorrect principle where autocorrect is an example of -of state-of-the-art AI. Voicemail transcription is an example of -of state-of-the-art AI. The thing that labels your cat as a cow is you know, a example of state of the art AI. And so if they're claiming something that's way beyond this level, if they're claiming to like know the intent behind what a human is saying, or to like look into someone's soul and know if they're trustworthy, just from their image or figure out like who is the person to hire for this job or something, you know, would you let your autocorrect do that? And maybe that's a good place to start.
0: Janelle Shane is an optics research scientist and artificial intelligence researcher. She's also the author of the short story, The Skeleton Crew. Janelle Shane, thank you so much for joining us today. And that's all for this episode of Future Tense Fiction. A monthly podcast featuring short stories from Future Tense and Arizona State University's Center for Science and the Imagination about how technology and science will change our lives. Tiara Darnell is our lead producer, editor, and sound designer. Production and editorial assistance from Mia Armstrong Lopez, Tori Bosch, and Micah Espinosa. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of Slate Audio. The Skeleton Crew was written by Janelle Shane, read by Kat Vaughn, and edited by Tori Bosch. The other editors on the Future Tense Fiction team are Joey Eschrick, Andres Martinez, and Ed Finn. I'm your host, Maddie Stone. We'll see you in the future.